So we're coming down the home stretch of our current sermon series entitled, Is It Just Me? The things we all wrestle with, but the things that we may not talk about with one another or even uh, to our friends. Uh, the topic that I want us to examine this week is relationships. And you may be wondering, uh, Matthew, what do you mean by relationships? Do you mean uh, like romantic relationships? Like dating or my marriage or a partnership? Or do you mean like work relationships? Or do you mean uh, familial relationships? Like uh, what is it like to be in relationship with your family your, or your extended family? Or what do you mean, Matthew? Do you mean uh, being in relationship with your friends? And I would say yes, yes to all of that. My goal for this sermon this morning is uh, not for me to dig in to the particulars of your family life or uh, your marriage or uh, even your uh, relationships with your friends, but my goal is that we will stay at the 30,000 foot uh, level because I think there is something that is missing in our culture today uh, about all of our relationships, about every relationship that we have. And I think that what we are missing from all of our relationships is so important. If, if that keeps happening, I'm gonna move to the lectern, okay? Cool, thank you. I hear it too, and I'm so sorry. Um, but I think that there is something that is missing that is keeping us away from one another. In, uh, I think it was 2002, I was home from uh, college. It was uh, the summer. Uh, between my freshman and sophomore year of college. And I remember uh, being with a friend of mine who is very forward thinking when it comes to technology. I'm just gonna go ahead and move. Cool. Very forward thinking when it comes to technology. And so he said to me, uh, Matthew, there is this thing that is gonna come about. It's called text messaging. And I said, what do you mean text messaging? He says, it's the ability um, to send a message from your phone to anyone that you want. And I said, uh, why would you want to send a message from your telephone to someone else's telephone? He said, well, I mean, if you didn't want to talk to them. <laughs> and I said, but by nature, you have a telephone. Why would you want to send a message that you have to hit a particular buttons three or four times to then send a message out to your friend? And he said, no, trust me, I think that this is going to be really, really big. I said, listen, I'm an extrovert. If I want to talk to someone, I will scroll through my contacts, I will hit the little green button, and we will talk for like an hour and a half. That's what happens on the telephone. He said, no, just wait for it. In the year 2000, does anyone uh, want to guess how many text messages were sent worldwide? 400,000 in the year 2000. I have a little cheat sheet here this morning because it's a lot of numbers. Uh, 400,000 text messages were sent in 2000. That is in contrast to the 12 billion emails that were sent that very year. 10 years later, in 2010, there were 4.5 billion text messages sent. And there were 107 trillion emails sent. Ten years later, right now, I want us to think about this. We went from 400,000 text messages in the year 2000 
to, to, to today, we send only as Americans, my dear friends, six billion texts a day. And that averages out to like 32 texts per person. And I know what you're thinking. Some of you are like, you have not met my kids or my grandkids. They send like 100 million themselves. We send six billion text messages a day. We send um, 306 billion emails as Americans every single day. We send 306 billion emails every single day. Now, a large number of those are spam emails. <laughs> but how we have learned to communicate over the last 20 years has fundamentally changed. We have uh, moved, in many instances, from uh, walking down the hall when we had a question at our offices to literally emailing our colleagues who are next door to us. <laughs> we have moved from getting up from our desk and talking to one another to now sending a Gmail chat. This is to say uh, nothing of um, how we interact on social media. Americans on average spend two and a half hours on social media every single day. So not only are we talking to one another through text messages and we're using mere words, we are interacting with one another um, at an algorithm's pace. And what we have chosen instead is we get to learn about other people by sort of uh, looking into a window of their life. I want, I want us all to think about this. At the end of our lives, as Americans, we will have spent five years of our lives on social media alone. So here's my question to you. Um, you're 150 or however old you want to be when you feel like you finally got enough out of this life, and the question then comes to you. The five years you have spent on social media, was it worth it? How many of uh, the five years you spent on social media do you feel like were life-giving to you? We sent 400,000 text messages in the year 2000 to now we are sending six billion a day to now we are spending two and a half hours a day on social media. We have moved away from one another. Do you know that um, Americans uh, who are in um, marriage or partnerships on average, we spend now only two and a half hours together in the flesh every day. And the majority of the studies show that of the two and a half hours that we actually spend together, guess what we are doing? Television. We're watching television together for the majority of the two and a half hours that we're spending together. Friendships. We're on social media two and a half hours a day. We are spending on average 36 minutes with our friends in person. Friends, um, I think that we are missing a fundamental component of what it means to be in relationship with one another. And let's be really clear about this. A relationship is being two ob objects being connected to one another. 
I think that we can um, text and be on social media and don't hear me as like this curmudgeon who thinks that we just need to like get rid of it all. I don't think that's the answer. But I do think that we may be overly dependent on a false sense of connection. And because of that false sense of connection, it shapes not only how we see one another and our relationships, but it shapes how we see the entire world. And I think, I believe this with every fiber of my being, that there's a different way to live. There's a different way for us to be connected. There's a different way that God intends for us to have relationship. And it's, um, it's a fancy word called incarnation. If you go um, to the Mexican restaurant and you order carne asada, what do you order? Steak, thank you, Caroline, the one person who orders <laughs> carne asada. When you go to the Mexican restaurant and you order carne asada, you're ordering steak, you're ordering flesh, you're ordering meat. I think we have a problem, an incarnation problem. Incarnation means being literally in the flesh with one another. And the reason I believe that we have an incarnation problem is it seems that Jesus spends almost all of his time focused on being incarnate with the whole world. So uh, some people read uh, the entire biblical narrative. They understand their entire faith through the lens of atonement. Uh, that Jesus was the sacrificial lamb sent here to atone for all of our sins. We're really, really bad people. Yeah, 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 we get all that. So Jesus was the sacrificial lamb to make right what we have wronged. Some people view their entire faith that way. But I got to tell you, um, the more I prepared for this sermon, the more I realized that that, while I understand it, is not necessarily the primary lens by which I understand my faith, but I actually understand the primary lens of my faith through the lens of incarnation. This understanding that God took on flesh in the life of Jesus, that God, the living God, took on flesh in the life of Jesus to bring us together so that we have to ask, how will we take on flesh with one another? I'm gonna, um, I, I wanna read us where I get this. It's, it comes from um, the Gospel of John, and we're gonna turn to the first chapter, and oh, Mark, there's a microphone. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. For the philosophers of the day, this makes perfect sense. The divine was known through the Word, through words. The divine was never meant to take on physical manifestations. But at verse 14, and the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, 
the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It is uh, the gospel writer of John doesn't say, and the word became flesh, end of story. The gospel writer said, uh, and the word became flesh and lived among us. I see uh, the entire biblical account in my faith through the lens of incarnation because Jesus spent a lot of time being incarnate with us and helping us being incarnate with one another. These are things that we miss when we read the Gospels all the time because the words don't carry the weight with us that they used to. It's why um, it was so radical for the understanding that the Son of God, or literally translated the Son of Man, would come and bring women and men together at the same table. That's radical. It's why the Son of Man would spend a lot of his time with the widows, those uh, who were so far on the margins that they were beyond, 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 beyond who the world thought they should care for. It's why um, uh, Jesus spent a lot of time seeking to bring uh, Pharisees and Gentiles to the same table. It's why Jesus told parables about Jews and Gentiles and flipped the understanding of those. Uh, For instance, uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan. There's, that's an oxymoron. There's nothing good about a Samaritan. Jews in Jerusalem at the time thought that Samaritans were Gentile dogs. How would a Gentile dog actually reveal the kingdom of God? It's why Jesus uh, spent time with prostitutes and tax collectors. Jesus would spend his entire life being incarnate in the flesh with those that the world thought didn't belong. Friends, I think that we have an incarnation problem. I think in in, in a day and age where we are expected to uh, be able to Google anything and know it, or to watch uh, the evening news and know how we feel about a really complicated matter, we have skipped over a very important step of what it means to actually be shaped by someone else's story and someone else's life. We have skipped over the important step of actually spending more time with one another than we spend on social media every day. So the question for you then is, um, where in your life Where in your family's life or your work life do you need to move from mere words to being in the flesh and present? How would that change the way that you see your neighbor? How um, would it change your marriage if you didn't watch two and a half hours of show every night? Sometimes I do it, we check out, I'm tired. How would it change your marriage, your relationship, if we spent that time in the flesh, fully present with one another? How would it look, um, how would it change your relationship with your kids or your grandkids, especially when they're screaming their faces off in the restaurant? And the easiest thing that we could ever do is just say, yeah, you two kids right there. What would, what would change about the way we live with one another? How would it change, um, I'm going to say it, 
how we view and live with those that we vote differently than? How would it change uh, those that live on the other side of town? How would being in the flesh change everything about your life and your world? I think we're really good at staying in words. We're Presbyterians, educated people. Change my mind before you change my heart. But I think Jesus values being incarnate. It, it is, it's fundamental to Jesus. To be in relationship means to be in the flesh with one another. So how can our words move to flesh in our lives? I know of a couple, they lived in the same neighborhood. They had lived next door to one another for years. It was one of those neighborhoods that you move into to raise up your family so everybody uh, has kids. They had been neighbors for a really long time, and they had a relationship with one another. And uh, the last election came up, and that one of the neighbors was really shocked when a Trump sign went up in her neighbor's yard. She was like, wait, I have known her forever. And she, it made her blood boil. And so uh, she thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get a Clinton sign. I'm going to put it in my yard. And so they had these competing uh, signs in their front yard. It became the only way that they could see one another until one day. One of their husbands had a heart attack at the hospital and had a heart attack and went to the hospital. She called everybody she knew and she couldn't get anybody on the phone. And so she called next door neighbor. And she said, I am so sorry to bother you with this, but um, David's had a heart attack. He had to uh, be rushed into emergent surgery and he's not doing well and he's be in the hospital for, uh, uh, for a long time and I just don't feel like I can leave his side. And, I, and my kids, the school's about to get out. Will you, will you go get my kids? And without hesitation, her neighbor said, I am on it. Don't you think another thing about it? Her friend, her neighbor, went and not only got her kids from school, she got them home, she fed them a snack, she sat them down and got their homework completed, and then she loaded them up in her own car and drove them to the hospital to see their father. When they walked in the room, her neighbor was there sitting by her husband's side and just began to weep. Story doesn't stop there. That same neighbor set up a meal train for the next month. She got other people in the neighborhood to sign up to also pick up the kids from school every day. And they surrounded this family and they loved them. Did you notice I didn't tell you which neighbor was who? Which sign went with which neighbor? That's not the point. The point, my dear friends, is we are more than the words that we ascribe ourselves to, that words can move in us into flesh and lead us to deeper relationships than we could ever imagine. I had a, a, a woman stop me recently out in the parking lot and she said, I, I gotta tell you, I know you, I was asking you to pray for, for my daughter and my son-in-law. I was really worried about their marriage. I just, I didn't know what kind of guy he was gonna be. 
I mean, we were happy about the wedding and everything, but I don't know. He just was raised differently, and I, I wasn't really sure if, if the image that I had in my mind was really going to be him. And she said, I got to tell you, he's the best dad I know. I could have never asked for a better father to my grandkids than the father that he's become. Watching him with them, I could have never imagined it. It's easy to stay up here. It's easy to stay up here. It's why at 11 o'clock today, uh, Sarah Johnson is going to gather up here and we're going to ask all of the folks from Preston Hollow Presbyterian Church who are going on the, the racial justice pilgrimage this coming week. We're going to commission them. But friends, I want us to understand the reason that we go on a racial justice pilgrimage is because we all know we have particular narratives built up in our mind. We've read particular pieces of history and it is one thing to know something. It is another thing to stand on the shores of where people were slaughtered. It's one thing to read about Selma and Montgomery and Atlanta. It's another thing to stand in those cities in the flesh and allow your flesh to be so shaped by the stories of others that it shapes your life and your world and everything you've ever known. That's what Jesus the Christ did. That's what God did through Christ by taking on the flesh. Came to show us that we belong to one another. And while words and social constructs matter, at the end of the day, that's not all there is. I'm going to close uh, with the greatest story that I know of. You've heard me tell it before, but I love it. It is the greatest story of what it means to move from words to flesh in your life. Uh, Steve Eason is one of my mentors. Steve was the senior pastor at the Myers Park Presbyterian Church in Charlotte for a number of years. When he got called to Charlotte, he and his entire family picked up and they moved to Charlotte. That included taking his mom with him. Steve's mom had been... Uh, wrestling with Alzheimer's for a number of years. And so it was really important that, that they take her with them and they checked her into the Presbyterian village just north of the church. And because it was such a big transition, Steve said, I'm gonna go and visit every single day for a month. It's a hard transition. She may not know where she is, but I want her to at least know that I'm there and I see her every day. And so Steve noticed after two weeks of visiting his mom, there was a, an older couple who always sat out in the hall. It was an older gentleman, sort of uh, what we used to call dapper. Always had a starched button-down shirt into khakis, always. And he was always sitting in a chair right next to this uh, older woman. She was sort of hunched over and looking up and, and looking off into the distance. And after two weeks of visiting his mom and seeing this couple, Steve finally walked over to him and said, um, I've been visiting my mom here every day for two weeks, and every time I'm here, you're here. You're, you're never not here. What's the story? And the guy says, well, what's your name? And he said, well, I'm Steve Eason. And he said, oh, that's interesting. You must be our new minister over at Myers Park, he said, I am the new minister at Myers Park. He said, my name's Bill, this here is Sally. He said, we've been married 60-something years. 
And Sally has Alzheimer's. And so I come and I sit with her every single day. And Steve said, well, God, that's got to be, it's got to be hard, man. I mean, that's got to be really exhausting to show up every single day and to sit with someone who doesn't know who you are, who doesn't even know what year it is. And Bill looked at Steve and said, yeah, but preacher, that's not the point. She may not know who I am, but I know who she is. And Steve said, yeah, I guess that's true. And Bill said, you know, preacher, we did say. In joy and in sorrow. In plenty and in want. In sick and in health. Till death do us part. I mean, we did say that to one another, preacher. It's one thing to say something. It's another thing to move into the flesh and to live as though it were true. Bill, from words to flesh. How do you need to move from words in your life to being in the flesh? That's my question for you today. That's my question for your entire life. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for the gift. Thank you for the gift of Jesus the Christ who moved from words to flesh to live among us. That we might know what relationship looks like. That we might know what it means to be in deep connection, not only with one another, but with you. Help us to take on the flesh for one another. By your grace, we pray. Amen.